ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the CMPU, in association with 898 Authentic Rock and Roll, proudly present the ultimate catalog collection. As long as it says Metallica on the record, it's Metallica. Those are the wise words of the philosopher Ulrich, and hey, they might be appropriate for today's episode. Uh, welcome to the Ultimate Catalog Clash, where myself and my co-host Corey Morissette take on the discography of one artist per season to find out which record will emerge as their best album. We rank each side of each album on lyrics, music, and production, and end up with a score out of 100 for each entry in the discography, at the end of which we'll know which record comes out on top. Last week, we finished up 1991's gargantuan hit, uh, The Black Album by Metallica. And tonight, we're starting the follow-up to that, 1996's Load. And we're kicking things off, as always, with side one. It'd be really weird if we started with side two, wouldn't it, Corey? <laughs> it, it would, but uh, I, I, I'm looking forward to this one because Load and Reload, I know probably less than the other albums uh, in the catalog. Black Album, obviously, I knew uh, front to back. Uh, I'm a little upset at the score, 78.5. Uh, we had a couple of Genesis records that were over 80. And I would rather put on the Black Album than Shapes uh, by Genesis. The the Metallica self-titled, really? I think, kicks Genesis self-titled square in the nuts. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, but that's just me. Um, so right. a, a little low for my taste. Um, so I'm kind of curious to see where we land on Load because this was kind of an interesting uh, a time in the band's history. After they kind of came off the road, uh, off of the uh, uh, Wherever I May Roam tour and No More Places to Roam tour and the whole... Uh, Guns N' Roses, Metallica fiasco that that was, you know, they, they all kind of went their separate ways and, and they all kind of came back together and they each had kind of different ideas and their music was kind of progressing more towards the grunge thing, right? Like Nirvana was huge, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, all those bands. Uh, so here we have Lars and Kirk wearing a uh, guy liner and they all got haircuts <laughs> and I, I, for one, couldn't give a shit what their hair did, but I, I got a friend in, in town here who's like, so did Metallica cut their hair? I quit listening. It's like, who gives a fuck about what their hair is doing? Like, listen to the music. Like, it has nothing to do with their hair. But a lot of people, oh, they cut their hair. They sold out. It's like, no, they just got haircuts. Maybe it's uncomfortable having long hair. I don't know. Well, they're, they're a huge stadium rock act. They're playing under really hot lights. Better to have a buzz cut. It could Absolutely. be way cooler out there, you know? Absolutely. A fucking weird thing to fixate on. Tell me about this GNR fiasco then. What, what was the GNR fiasco oh, they, they, in the dark here? Oh, they went on a, a co-headlining tour. The, the, this is kind of in between two massive worldwide legs uh, for Metallica. They did a co-headlining tour with, with GNR. And um, there was, a, uh, I guess, Axel blew his voice out uh, early on the tour, so they had some time off while he healed. And then they all came back together for a show in Montreal, an infamous show in Montreal where uh, Metallica was, was the first band up, and uh, James actually got hit by some pyro and burnt his hand really bad and had to get oh. rushed to the hospital. Uh, and this is only a few songs in. So, like, Lars comes out, like, I'm sorry, like, James had to get rushed to the hospital. He was too close to a flash pot or whatever, and he got yeah. burned really bad. Uh, and so Guns N' Roses had the opportunity to be the big hero, right? Okay, Metallica had to cut their set short because James got burnt. He had to get rushed to the hospital. We can go out and be heroes, and depending on whose account you hear, you, you hear like Slash and Duffer, like, yeah, let, let, we got to, you know, let's head out there early. Let's play a longer set. Uh, you know, let's do whatever we can. But Axel wasn't having any of that. So they went out there, and after a few songs, Al, uh, Axel's like, no, I'm sorry, but my voice is bad. We're cutting it short. And, and they left early, and that sparked a riot. 
And, and the crowd wow. just went nuts, and they ripped that fucking place apart. It, it, it was a big bone of contention between guns because the the actual like rational musicians in that group were like, let's go out there and play a longer set and really kind of save the day because our comrade, is, you know, he got burned. And Axel's yeah. like, no, fuck that. He did like three or four songs and said, no, I'm done, and walked off stage, which he was prone to do uh, at that time in their history. Like, oh, my voice isn't right. And he would just walk off or somebody in the crowd pissed him off, you know, took a picture or something and he would fucking walk off. But he wasn't, so that would have been the illusion store then, I'm assuming. Yes, yep. So, and then you've got Duff McKagan and Gilby Clark in the band. They can yep. take a couple of leads and give you a break. 100%. They can take lead vocals on a couple of songs with both good singers. L- let Matt Sorum do a 20-minute drum solo. Yeah, just, like do, just don't be a professional. Be a professional. Be yeah, that's a brutal. professional. That, that's the big yeah. thing. And that's not Axel at that time in their career. And so there was a huge riot. It, it was a whole big thing. Uh, Metallica eventually went back on the road with a, uh, you know, James went out there and sang. His hand was all bandaged up, but uh, yeah. I, I can't remember who it was that came in and played guitar for him. But uh, they at least wow. soldiered on. But uh, it's just a night. Like if we ever do Guns N' Roses, like they're, uh, they're <laughs> mid nineties. Uh, oh, it was just a nightmare. Like whatever you think about the uh, Use Your Illusion albums, uh, Axel's whole thing on tour. Like remember, th- this is the guy who before our show said, I'm not going on until you saw all of you sign over the rights to the name to me. Because, it's just unreal. Right? Yeah, because I think you're all a bunch of fuck ups. You got to and slash is like, I just want to play the gig because people are out there chanting our name. They want to see the gig. Yeah. I don't, I'll just sign it. I don't care. And then Axel would go and just sully that name for how many years after. Ugh. And and here's an opportunity where they could have been the heroes in, in that story. Yeah. Like, okay, we're going to play for three hours. We're going to do some deep cuts. We're going to do some covers. We're going to have a good time. Nope, we're gonna play like five songs and fuck off. Like, come on. Yeah, it doesn't really give, improve my impression of uh, Axl Rose at that time. He was a baby. I mean, every report says that. But I was looking at that tour, that wherever we may roam tour, lasted from ninety one October ninety one to May ninety three, two hundred twenty eight dates. Yep, that is a lot of touring. They were exhausted uh, coming off the road. Yeah, and, and then when they, when they reconvened, you know, they just. They kind of went in another direction. I know a lot of people blame Bob Rock. It's not Bob Rock. It, it, was, it was Lars, uh, ultimately. Lars and Kirk kind of wanted to take the band in a different direction, and, and James just kind of went along with it, and Jason too. But you, you, there's a real division kind of in the band at this point. Like in interviews at this period, you see Lars and, and Kirk were like kissing and, and wearing their guy liner <laughs> and doing whatever, and James and Jason's like, whatever, <laughs> fuck. Like, come on. Like uh, the, the, yeah. one of these songs uh, on, on these records um, comes really, really close to country because – uh, Bob Rock told James Hetfield, listen to more country artists like Waylon Jennings and, you know, like Johnny Cash, like like mm-hmm. real country, not Garth Brooks fucking bullshit country, real country in, in terms of becoming a better lyricist. And the song we're going to cover uh, on side D, I think it is, or C or D, Mama Said, uh, really kind of toes that line really close uh, to country. And Jason's like, eh, we're getting a little too country for my taste. That was his big, big issue. But yeah, you know, grunge was huge at this time. Like, didn't uh, Kirk Cobain off himself uh, in 96? Like, uh, this was kind of right in the, you know, did grunge die with Kirk Cobain? I'm not really a big grunge guy, so. I'm not a huge grunge guy. Though. I was talking to actually with um, my good friend Randy Woods the other day about this, and I'm not really a genre guy generally. There isn't really a specific genre that I think, yeah, I basically just love everything in that genre. Not classic rock, not hair, not frog, not anything, right? I just sort of tend to pick and choose and like different things. But now, once you said, I kind of reminded me that grunge hit, you know, 92 was when it hit big and grunge was king. There's, I've got it in my notes on a couple of these songs or certainly one of them that you think, yeah, this is them definitely letting that leak in. And that's, if you're talking about Bob Rock saying to James that he should listen to country, I think that's where 
a, a really good artist listens to it and absorbs it and just brings it into their sound. Don't try and mimic it. Yeah. Because that's what it just sounds like you doing, you know, there's a song on, I think it's on this side, that it just sounds like one band doing, covering another band. You think, oh God, please don't, no, 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 don't do that. Because just you should sound like yourself. Metallica had a very distinct sound on the Black Album. But again, I mean, I'm like, not the first time I really listened through that album, but it's a distinctive sound. Like no one else really sounded like that that I know of. This album, they definitely seem to have moved away from that a little bit. A little bit. And Black Album was a step forward from where they were in the albums previous. Like in, you know, diehard fans wanted that same sound. We just want the Metallica we fell in love with, but the band yeah. themselves wanted to evolve. And going into the Black Album, you know, uh, I, I read one quote where uh, I think it was Lars or Kirk said, uh, we were doing one of our bigger songs, like with the bigger solos and stuff, like a 10, 11 minute song. And they looked out in the crowd and they saw people yawning. And like, we, we, we don't want to be that band. We want to make shorter, punchier songs that the audience isn't get, going to get bored by. And I, yeah. I totally get that. And that's why you don't get a lot of uh, big, big, uh, long songs on the Black Album or on Load and Reload. They want to kind of smaller songs. No, definitely. I mean, that comes across. Um, well, there are a couple of long, pretty long songs on this, on this record um, that sort of close out side two of the first final and side two of the second. But mm-hmm. I just wanted to really quickly talk to you, Corey. I sat down finally and watched Some Kind of Monster. Holy hell. <laughs> what a roller coaster that was. Fuck! <laughs> I couldn't really believe, and it's still, I, sort of, I was commenting on this, I'm joking about this online, and I am joking, but I'm sort of kind of half not at the same time that I do sometimes wonder if Lars Ulrich has just been playing a character called Lars Ulrich as one of the most incredible inventive pieces of performance art of the 20th century. Because surely no, surely to God, no one is actually like that. It's incredible to me the way he acts. is like, you can tell he's playing for the camera sometimes, where you can also tell that Kirk and James aren't. They're, they've sort of got the brief that, well, the cameras are there, but don't react to the cameras, just try and be yourself. And of course, it's difficult to completely do that, but Lars is just pantomiming and clowning and screaming fucking James's face. The cameras weren't there. I guarantee James would have just fucking hooked him right then and there. Like, come on, really? Just, dude, just sit down and shut up. Unbelievable. I loved it. <laughs> he, he should have done that anyway in that scene. The the the, the big fight scene, uh, if you will, in some kind of monster where James like, I'm in a shit mood and you just keep picking at me. And then he proceeds to just keep picking at him. And, yeah. and that's also the scene where uh, uh, Kirk Hammett comes up with this. You know what, you guys? Why don't we just go in there and just hammer it out, all right, instead of hammering on each other? Like, let's just get back to work instead of hammering on each other. And, <laughs> oh, and, my Lord. And, and then, uh, you know, Lar- Lars's retort is... You're just sitting here being a complete dick. It's like, no, <laughs> Lars, he's such a fucking asshole. And it, it, it's yeah. hard to defend him. Like, you know, I can listen to some of his his, his drumming and whatever and think, okay, that, that that's fine. There's one song in here where I'm like, Lars, shut the fuck up because he's way too much. But as a human being, he just seems like such a cunt. But yet, you see him interact with the fans, and he's so great with the fans. Yeah. Like, I, 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 I was just kind of looking at Metallica clips, and there's a clip where he, he saw a young guy in a wheelchair, and he's like, hey, uh, you're coming to check out the show with your mom? Why don't you come sit backstage? You know, yeah. come sit side stage and watch the entire show, uh, you know, right from backstage. Like, that's really cool to do. And he does a, really, a lot of really cool stuff for the fans. But to his, like, bandmates... He's a total asshole. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you think that some of that, though, is that, because I'd written down that he, he sort of, you get the sense that Lars Ulrich doesn't know where Metallica ends and Lars Ulrich begins. Like, if he's not part of Metallica, then he doesn't have an identity. It's almost like that, right, where he's, where he's so 
defined by being the drummer in Metallica and, and this heavy metal band that there isn't anything else. And when James goes away to rehab, all he can see is that he's been disrespected because James isn't coming back and think that he's himself. You know, his friend has gone away to take care of serious addiction issues and it becomes about him and, and the band that he that he senses everything else around. But there's a really serious character flaw there, you know? Well, it, it's really interesting you say that because there's that scene in the film where he's selling off his art collection. And it, it's almost like an afterthought. Like, this is just a thing I should do. And, and maybe there's some credence to what you're saying because he's like, yeah, I collected all this art, now I'm just going to sell it all. It, it, it doesn't seem to mean that much. Like, no. I, I would think a collector of art, you know, you're collecting art for a reason. Uh, he's almost collecting art because he feels like it. that's just something he should do. Right? There, that's what rock stars do. Yeah, there's not really an emotional attachment to it. So that's really kind of interesting. I do have to point out, though, I talked to one uh, Scott K. Haskin today, the sexiest man in podcasting, and he listened to episode one uh, of us talking about uh, Metallica side A. And he said, I, I think Kevin's bashing of Lars Ulrich is going to get really old really fast. And I'm like, oh, just just you wait. Oh, boy, there's more. I mean, I have tried to be balanced. I, I always am. I try to be balanced. And I and I to the point where I'm I specifically look, OK, I don't like that. And there's a song on this side where I think one of my end notes is, look, the, the drums are shit, but I've just sort of put that to one side. I, I don't have to worry about it too much. But there are times when I think if I'm going to say I don't like his drumming, I think that I should give you a ex specific example. This is what I mean. This is the, what he does all the time. That that's what annoys me, rather than me just saying he sucks because that doesn't mean anything, right? Yeah. It's like you said, it's stock doesn't mean anything. So, I, so Scott, as you're listening to this in a, in a few weeks, as we're recording now, I apologize, but you're a drummer too, and you know I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna get some interesting examples on this one too, because again, we have Bob Rock producing, but the band is in a very different state here. Uh, but the first track. Uh, if we can get right into it, it, it it's almost kind of like, okay, we're, we're going to give diehard Metallica fans a little something, maybe something a little heavier to kick off the album. It's not Fight Fire with Fire, but it's a little tune called Ain't My Bitcha. Funny too that you you'd said that they went on tour with um, Guns N' Roses because that little lick in there it's got a lot of slash to it to me. It does. It's got that's the same type of thing that Slash would throw into a Guns N' Roses track. But the first thing when I heard this song, Corey, when it kicks in, doo -doo 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 -doo, my Sharona, I was like, "Fucking hell, what's this? Is the knack?" <laughs> a, a little heavier version of that. The first thing I thought of when the drums kicked in was the snare sounds like shit. And I, well, I, I, I don't usually rag on Lars too hard, but that snare sound, I, I didn't, it, it sounds out of tune. It sounds like, you know, you, you really need to get your tuning key out and kind of tighten that fucker up. It just sounds like just, bleh. I've sort of accepted that Lars's drums are not, are never going to be, but I, I, I'm never going to particularly care for them. Right. And they're always going to, the snare especially is always going to be mixed too high. So I've sort of ended up finding the level for that now. And I, I just adjust on that now. It's like, okay. Well, that's just what that is. Yeah. We're just gonna have to deal with it. Black album, I thought it sounded really good. That's just me, though. I, I'm, I'm partial to that record. It's too loud. It's too loud. <laughs> it's too loud. <laughs> a, a drummer is saying the drums are too, oh, the drums are too loud. 
I should be able to do everything else. Oh, there are times on the black album I couldn't. Oh, need a little Tony Banks just plinking plunking away <laughs> on his keyboards here. Oh, now we need a Lars Ulrich and Tony Banks collab. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, let's address that first, because this is what I'm assuming that you thought, ah, Kev's really not going to like this. Yep, I, I put in writing notes, Kevin is going to hate that James delivery. I like it there. Yes. Because yes. he's not doing it as part of that stupid fucking affectation. It fits rhythmically, melodically. It sort of fits the song. Like I, it, There, it's fine. I don't hate it there at all. There are times on this side of this album where I don't like it, and I'm commenting on it, but here, <laughs> I absolutely don't mind it. Um, love that double time on the on the chugga chugga that they're doing in there. That sounds really really cool. Um, pre-chorus though, that switch down to halftime is such a Metallica stable. Hey, they lean into that so often. You know what I mean? They, they either go from full time to halftime or half time to full time. There's a reason though. It works. It it does <laughs> it does, but it they do it a lot. <laughs> so. I I I don't notice it as as being uh, too much. Uh, I, I'm used to it, obviously, but yeah, uh, I, I get it. The, the second part, "Headstrong," what's wrong? I've heard this song before. You arrive, and now it's time to kiss your ass goodbye. I love this chorus, though. Dragging me down. Why are you around? So useless. It ain't my fault. It ain't my call. It ain't my bitch. And we, we should point out, he's not talking about a woman here. Uh, bitch is a metaphor for like a problem. Like, that's not yeah. my problem. It ain't my bitch. And the way he hits that, it ain't my bitch. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Fuck, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I like, I like the delivery on it. And it surprised me because I remember the first couple times I listened through this album. When I listened to it, I was like, oh, fuck, seriously? Really? <laughs> it was almost like a parody of someone doing a James Hetfield impression. But then when I sat down to listen to it to actually, you know, analyze it, so to speak, it's like, yeah, no, it works totally. It, make, it makes perfect sense to do it there because it, my bitch, is an attitude thing. Yeah. Just to put it there, yeah, totally fits. I'm, I'm perfectly happy with it. Everybody said that where, you know, that's not my problem. That ain't my bitch. And, and yeah, yeah you, you want to hit it like that. But the, I love the riff. I, I, I think this is a great opener to the album. I got to be honest with you. Like, it's good chugga chugga. I know Randy's not a fan of the chugga chugga. He prefers the whatever the jazz warbling he does. <laughs> I like the chugga chugga. I grew up on the chugga chugga. I'm cool with that. So I was. I, I'm one hundred percent in on on Ain't My Bitch. I'm loving it so far. I mean, is it musically? Yeah, as a as an album opener, it kind of sounds like Metallica, right? It's exactly. what you expect Metallica is going to be yeah. coming in off the Black Album. You think, oh yeah, no, this is familiar territory. They definitely start taking some different left and right turns later on, but let's ease them into that. Let's not just scare everyone right off the top. And, and that's why sequencing matters. That's why I think th this is a great choice uh, for the opener because it's going to give like a. Long-term Metallica fans maybe a little something. Obviously, it's not, like I said, Fight Fire with Fire or any of the other album openers, but at least they're like, okay, you know, riff sounds heavy, James yeah. sounds cool, uh, drum sounds uh, out of tune, 
which is Lars. So uh, this is Metallica. <laughs> We're ready to go. I said that I should comment when I find something that Lars does really good. Yeah. Two or three. There's a little kick fill that he does coming out of the pre-chorus that I quite like. I love that fake fill, where you think they we it breaks into where you think the uh, the solo is going to start, but then they go back around again. And I think Corey, my times might be a little bit off here because I'm just looking here. I'd actually had that down as two twenty four. I might be like fucking ten, twelve seconds behind or something for some reason here. Don't know because I, I was using YouTube Music, so I don't know. But it's not rocket science. You have one job, and that you know, <laughs> just write down the right time. Like fuck, <laughs> you pull this bullshit with Randy too. Is that why he hates you so much? All the time. Okay. <laughs> So my time was right on this one. So I think it was just the last one I got wrong. Just so you know, Corey, I'm not okay. a complete bonehead. 243, when that solo comes in, I'd have to put it into an editor, but I am pretty damn sure that the tempo picks up there. Oh, yeah. Not by a ton. Two, three beats per minute or something. That's cool. Yeah. Because you don't hear that very often, and it's timed, and it's not, you know, Lars hasn't gotten ahead because everyone does it. That's yep. kind of a neat little, that's a nice little bit of um, bit of production in there, I think. Absolutely. And the big thing for me on that solo was, the slide. Uh, Kirk never used the slide before this, and I'm pretty sure he never used it after. But that's a really great slide guitar solo. And I always said, uh, I read an interview with him where he said he didn't want to pull out the slide until he was really comfortable with it. So he, he played a lot with a slide, kind of getting used to it, and then yeah. uh, broke it out in the solo. I thought the solo was great. Um, the the snare sounds different than it did at the beginning of the song. It sounds in tune here. It sounded out of tune earlier. It sounds in tune here. Was Lars doing too much in that section? Like, uh, for me, it, it was kind of borderline. A couple times, like, why are you doing that? But I was I was so in tune with what Kirk was doing, I was cool with it. I, I tend to find that most of the time, with especially during the solos. I can't remember which song it was on the Black Album. I think it was maybe the, was it the God That Failed, maybe? There was that where Kirk's playing a great solo, and Lars is playing, yeah. like, fucking hell, dude, just shut up. Yep. And there's a few times, again, on, you know, the, the two sides that I've listened to on this album that I think... The same thing, but again, I'm starting to find that, you know, I've got my sort of my baseline now for where Lars is. So I'm, I'm not basing, I'm, I'm trying not to judge Lars drumming on everyone else in the world. I'm trying to judge it on his baseline as much <laughs> as I can, right? So was he doing too much in there? I, certainly not more than he's going to do later on on this album. So I'm used to having the drummer do the beat part. You know what I mean? <laughs> Oh, good lord. I was going to say something about that slide, but um, oh, that was it. Yeah, so we obviously mean you're a huge Van Halen fans, mm -hmm. and I've said to you on your podcast before that Eddie Van Halen, when he plays keyboards, 
does not play keyboards like a keyboard player. He plays keyboards like a fucking guitar player. So as a keyboard player, his stuff's really quite hard to play. Kirk Hammett doesn't play slide like a slide, like a, someone who plays a lot of slide. He doesn't play it that way. It's really interesting. So it yeah. does. It's, when I was listening to that, so I was like, fucking hell, yeah, that's not what I was expecting at all. It's really cool. Listen how he does a slide solo and how like Joe Perry does a slide solo because Joe Perry plays with the slide all the time. Yeah. Right? Billy Gibbons exactly. plays with the slide all the time. Kirk played with it this one time. Well, at, at least on the album, right? So. Yeah, kind Kirk's of playing blues. Kirk's yeah. playing blues. Joe Perry is a blues player. Exactly. Ah, there you difference. go. There you go. Yeah. I just love that. Uh, you know, a little different take on the chorus. Different words. Uh, I thought, no way, but down, why are you around, no fooling, it ain't my smile, it ain't my style, it ain't my bitch, and that big, long, extended bitch. Uh, yeah. I, I love when they do shit like that. Well, and they don't do the stop, too, right? So they change it up a little bit. Just just change it so it's not doing. you're not doing the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah. And then the ending was my next, next one. I thought the ending for this one was pretty cool, so it was 4.55 I had. Well, you know what? I, I started at 4.40 for my outro, so we'll we'll pick it up from there. And that's such a Metallica thing too, where where you, where you think the song is over, and, yeah. and then they'll just bring in the main riff again. Da, 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 da. They do that so many times. That's a Metallica staple that I always really appreciate. <laughs> so yeah, cool, cool outro. Like a, I, I, I gotta tell you, my my scores will reflect that. I really liked "Date My Bitch." I think it's a really good opener uh, for Load. I gave it an eight for music. I think musically, it's it's just rock solid. Uh, I really like the solo. Uh, I like what everyone's doing. Yeah, the you know the snare is fucked up a little bit at the beginning, but then that seems to self-correct somehow at some point in the song. Uh, lyrically, I gave it a seven. I don't think it's uh, large or uh, James's strongest lyrics, but I I really like the kind of message behind it. The the chorus is cool. Uh, verses kind of phoned in maybe a little bit, but um, really nothing too wrong with them. I gave it a seven. I gave it a four uh, for production. I don't think it's too long. Uh, you know, could you have like you know tuned the fucking snare? At the beginning, sure. So I, you know, I'll I'll dock him a little bit for that. But eight, seven, and four uh, is where I landed on eight. My bitch played 175 times live, uh, and not really recently, which kind of surprised me. I, I think maybe Metallica should break this one out again. What did you grade? Eight, my bitch. Yeah, nineteen nine, uh, ninety six to ninety eight. It was played only. Yeah. I guess they've never because I know that Metallica does bring out deep cuts on their later tours, but this one, this one's never made it. Um. 7.5 for music. It's very similar to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like I said, there's lots about that Illusions era of GNR that comes through in this song for me. It's got the same kind of swagger and tempo to it that I, and I really like, I like a lot of songs on Usual Illusion um, on both albums. Um, I didn't really notice Lars too much on this one in terms of sort of, he wasn't annoying me. So I was like, well, that's good. If he's just sitting in the background keeping the beat, then more or less, and that's not too bad. Production. Yeah, no major nitpicks, really. I think the panning on Kirk's lead at times, because it starts on the right and then switches to the left or the other way around, which eh, don't really need to do that. Um, and again, Lars' snare is a bit of a bit higher than it should be, but I gave it a four. Okay. So I'm 7.5 on music, four for production. I went 4.5 for lyrics, Ooh. though. Oh. I just think they're they're just a bit throwaway and sort of a bit 
a bit juvenile, which I don't, whatever, it's, it's metal, it's it, rock and rock can be a bit juvenile, that's fine. My main complaint is I don't think anyone's used the word bitch in a song as well as the Stones, and they did it back in, fuck, whatever that was, was that 81 or something, bitch came out? Who the or started... fuck are you to talk about the Stones? You never heard Emotional <laughs> Rescue. <laughs> Not this again, I can't, again, another thing I can't escape. <laughs> So I just, even though you're right, they're not talking about a woman. It's not misogynistic. I just think it's a bit, let, let's pander to the 17, 18, 19 year olds who are going to think me shouting bitch is cool. So, you know, so I just think, and again, I'm basing this off what I've heard James Hetfield write at his, you know, at his peak on the Black Album and on some of the stuff on this album, this falls quite a way short of it. So well, just you, for me. Uh, you say the most, uh, Rolling Stones, remember Meredith Brooks's song, Bitch? I'm a bitch, I'm a lover, I'm a child, I'm a mother. That that came out the year after this one, so uh, it's better than that one, isn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but James James Hetfield farting into a pint glass would be better than that one. So. Ouch. Oh, take that, Meredith Brooks. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's uh, Ate My Bitch. Uh, I think a pretty good opener. Uh, Kevin was eh, not a fan of lyrics, but alright. Uh, we're going to go to something a little different now. We're going to go into like a, a Metallica blues track. Uh, played 10 times live. Uh, this is two by four. All right, so. Uh, already, I, I can tell you're smashing the crash symbol because that's what <laughs> Lars was doing. I love this group. Like, I'm a big blues rock guy. Like, I, I do shows yeah. on Aerosmith for fuck's sakes, right? Like, that's all blues rock. ZZ Top is all blues rock. They made the blues party music. Uh, that group is all blues. But the, yeah, then you have Lars on that big crash symbol, just <laughs> like, you know, Frank Beard <laughs> wouldn't do that. No. Joey Kramer wouldn't do that. But Lars is oh, doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? I mean, this is where Lars does stand out on something like this, where really should be swinging the ride there or doing something. This is just, you know, you 100% know, well, on I mean, the ride. If, that, even, that's what you it, should be yes. doing. Yeah, that's textbook. Yeah. And even if you are hitting your crash, you don't need to murder it. You don't need to <laughs> knock the copper off it, you lunatic. <laughs> I, w- I wonder what Scott's going to think about that because we do an Aerosmith show together, and here's all the elements of Aerosmith, a little heavier guitar, maybe, like maybe just tuned a little differently, but yeah, it's. It's that crash symbol, and it's like, why? Well, I mean, my main note in this one, Corey, when we get to them, was going to be, it kind of sounds like they're ripping off an air in the track and yeah. trying to heavy it up. Yeah. Because it is that same. It's got, And it's got, like, even the riff, it's got a little hint of train kept a rolling. It's little sort of bits of the cadence. I was like, oh, yeah, and I can see what they're doing here. But, And then you just got that fucking crash symbol just <laughs> smashing its way into it. So loud. <laughs> That's so bassy. Like, it's so... I find that really muddy. Because James is singing. He's not, like, up in that sort of up register. He's not, like, rolling down in the lowest, but he's, he's in that middle. You've got the guitars are both sitting low on the neck. The bass is playing right on those, like, low E roots. It's sort of... It's just a bit... It's a bit muddy for me. 
I just don't like the way it sounds. Like I like, like I said, I like the riff, I like the swing, but just the overall tone of it's just a bit, a bit soupy. You know that that's kind of my main complaint about this one too. My production scores are going to reflect it, but because I do an Aerosmith show, I, I'm used to this type of song sounding so much better because you have separation, right? Yes. And yet you don't have separation here. Like you said, James is kind of right in between kind of everything, right? Whereas Steven Tyler uh, would be way up and above everything. But yeah, you can still, exactly. But you, you still have like, you know, uh, Joey and Tom are off to one side and, and Brad is kind of his own thing and then Joe is his own thing. And, and everything's just kind of separated. And here it's all, yeah, it's all just kind of mixed together. It, it's almost like uh, like Bob Rock doesn't know how to mix the blues. Uh, maybe I don't know because you know he does his type of music incredibly well, yeah. right? Black album I, I thought was incredibly produced. There's some songs on here I think are incredibly. My bitch I thought was really good. I gave it a four. Uh, my scores are considerably lower on this one too because it's just kind of a hodgepodge. Yeah, I agree with you. It's kind of funny saying I can't hear you because I had no fucking clue what he was singing there until I looked at the lyrics. Friction, fusion, retribution. Okay, all right, all right. What the fuck? Yeah, is it's that? just again, it's they've made it even worse by him now doing this weird drony. It's like again, there's like Aerosmith Taste of India or something. You know, like, yeah. Well, what are we, what's going on here now? Like, you know, at least you can hear Taste of India. Exactly. Oh, fuck. Don't you think that we're talking about that? And again, not to rag on Lars too much. And maybe Scott will Scott will give me a lifeline here because when you think about Joey Kramer. If Joey Kramer's playing this, it's just going to sound night and day with a blues player playing it. And you can't blame Lars for that, I suppose. Like, he's not a blues guy, and he doesn't have that he doesn't have that background to be able to play those types of grooves. But you're not really helping by making everything in this low end and doing now you've even dropped the vocals down into that same register where everything's competing for that same sonic space, and it just all gets lost. You can't hear anything. It's so weird. It's like you have this basic groove that they're trying to build a song around, but nothing they do meshes with that groove. Lyrics don't. Exactly. Vocal delivery doesn't. That whole production on the fi- friction, fusion, retribution section doesn't mesh with this groove at all. The drums don't mesh. Uh, it, it's like, we really like Aerosmith. We're trying to do an Aerosmith song. We have no fucking clue how to do an Aerosmith song. Exactly. Like, what are you? Why are you playing a double kick there, you fucking lemon? It's a blues <laughs> song. Are you not listening to the song? Like, holy fuck, you know. Like, I, I, I want to I, I want to try and get through the chorus. Can, sorry, can, can we do that, sorry. Kevin, without you stopping the proceedings? Yes, sorry. Okay. All right, so apparently this song is about just, instead of trying to outthink somebody, you just hit him in the face with a wooden two-by-four. <laughs> but I, I I, don't get that from this song because you, you don't, when you hear like a slow blues groove, you don't think uh, whacking somebody in the head with a two-by-four. Other songs Metallica <laughs> have done would fit that theme better than what they're doing here. Nothing really meshes together. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's funny too because you think about like a two-by-four as an idea, as a, as a sort of, you know, three words together. It's cool. It's iconic. Everyone kind of knows what you're saying. 
And I was thinking that, you know, a two by four isn't two by four. It's one and a half by three and a half. And that's what this fucking sounds like. <laughs> They've gone to the actual measurements of the wood. <laughs> and so... So he gets that right. So I missed it the first time through. And he gets that because that's what Joey would do. That's what a blues plays is that little halftime hang mm-hmm. and hit your snare. You don't need to, you don't need to do all that. That's what you do. That's how you do that on the drums. your end point why are you still playing sometimes metallica doesn't know when to just leave well enough alone and say you know what we've hit him hard we've got him we've got out we've done our little groove thing we're at 324 Corey. we've got two minutes left yeah and that's at this point the song was like oh i hope they go somewhere with this now and the notes i'd written too is something that you said earlier or kind of plays on that is that i think sometimes in a course like that if you had someone like steven tyler or our friend Sammy Hagar, they're going to go to that big upper register and they're going to really cut through all the soup in that bottom end and just cut through like crystal. I mean, I don't know if James Hetfield has that, but that's what I'm missing there. I want I want a blue singer who can just belt that little that little section out. Yep. Yeah. And again, so. what the fuck is Lars doing in the solo? What was my one mm. note throughout that whole thing? It's like, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> oh, shit. Sorry, Scott. I know oh, he's going to get old. Uh, ragging on Lars Ulrich, I, I get it, but when he's when he does shit like this, it's hard not to point it out. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else on uh, two by four? I mean, there is, but we we can leave it if you like, Corey. I mean, I think we've oh, I think we're, we're both in the same place. I think we're in roughly the same place. So I just think that you know you, when you get to like four twenty five again, there's still a minute left, and there's another opportunity there to just end the song, and they don't take it. And looking at the length of this album. It's 79 minutes. Yeah. They could have taken some decisions to trim this thing up and get it a little bit shorter, but I think we're, I think we're good. We can get to our voting, I think. Okay, so what did you rate 2x4? Uh, Play 10 times live. For very good reason. <laughs> I mean, musically, I said 6 because I like the main riff, but it just never develops. They don't go anywhere with it, right? Like I said, you know, Joey Kramer and, and the boys in Aerosmith and Joe Perry and, and Brad Whitford, they're going to do something with that. They're going to trade solos. Something interesting is going to happen with it. This is not a blues band. They don't know what to do with it. So I went six on music. Comments on the lyrics are kind of the same as Ain't My Bitch. For me, they're just a bit, fuck, whatever. They're a bit, they're a bit stock. Um, and given that Bob Rock was really hard on James on the Black Album by his lyrics, I do wonder if he backed off on this one because Metallica has now become Metallica. Whereas with the Black Album, they weren't quite Metallica yet, right? They were still just that band fighting for, for it. But So I think the idea around 2x4 is kind of neat, but... It, again, just like the music, it never develops. Production, yeah, too. It's way too long. There's a couple of really good endpoints that they missed. It's super muddy. I can't fucking hear what Jason Newstead's playing at all on this. And it's just a, it's just a train wreck, sonically. So I'm six, four, and two. Six, four, and two? All right. Uh, you're going to be shocked by my scores. Musically, I gave it a seven. Uh, and I, I put a nine for the groove, four for everything else. Yeah. Which I, I, I gave a seven. I, I could have gave a six and a half, kind of like what you did, but it's the, the groove is really good. I, I like the groove. Everything else doesn't fit. Uh, so I averaged it out to a seven. Uh, lyrically, I gave it a five. 
because again, I, I like the idea behind it. I know, uh, you know, James is dealing with anger issues with alcoholism, all that kind of stuff. I, I kind of yep. get all that, but he would, uh, touch those subjects better on later on. Uh, not, not so much on this one here, as much as I want to hit some people who I won't name in the face of the two by four, um, this one, it, it didn't quite work for me. I gave it just an average on a five. And then production, I gave it a two as well. Same as you. Same thing. It's way too long. Uh, there's other endpoints. And God, you got to separate those elements. And like you said, Jason, where the fuck was Jason? There, you, you can't pick out the bass uh, no. out of this song at all. And Lars, what the fuck are you doing? Stop it. Stop it. So I gave it a seven <laughs> and a five and a two for two by four. So that is two by four. Now let's get into a song that Metallica has never played live, which is rare because they love breaking out deep cuts, especially on their no repeat weekend tour that they're doing right now, where they're it's never the same set list twice. You you think they would deep out, you know, break out some deeper cuts. This is a song they've never ever done live. Uh this is called and it's based on a, an English nursery rhyme. So we'll see if Kevin has any experience with the house that Jack built. intro mm-hmm. really cool intro and i think that one of the things that makes it work is james is backing off and he's singing in that sort of that cleaner tone that we know he's got now from you know nothing else matters and i'm forgiven those kinds of things so i like that because it contrasts with quite it was quite a heavy ominous doomy sort of intro but with that clearer tone i think that the the, the contrast of those two things i think works really really well yep no i, I couldn't agree more uh and, and th- this is an interesting song because uh, James has uh, always dealt with alcoholism. Uh, that, that's kind of been his vice. Uh, whereas everybody, you know, all, all have their songwriters of this ilk have their own demons to slay, right? Whether it be cocaine or sex addiction or what have you. James is always alcoholism. And of course, seven years after this album came out, he would go to rehab for the first time during the uh, Some Kind of Monster documentary, right? Uh, yep. and, and this is a song very much about alcoholism at least i think because he's never come out and really said it but you think the house that jack built oh uh, i mean the the house clearly is his body and the jack in the song is jack daniels isn't it of course it is of course it is i mean yeah it's based on an old nursery rhyme but i mean it's you know again this is where it's this is good wordplay it's it's finding that sort of or noticing that maybe when they're on tour in england he sees a little nursery rhyme book or something something happens right he's exposed to it and that association comes straight away the house that jack built well jack daniels House, you just have to back engineer that, right? Totally, that's what this song's about, 100%. There's no fucking question about it. And I wonder if that's why, I wonder if that's why it was never played live. Maybe it's something that was personal, because, you know, Tom Petty barely ever, or never sang Echo live. I think he only did it once, because it was too much. It was too it was too hard to do that, because it's too raw, and it's too... So maybe it's just one of those songs that James thought, fuck, I don't want to deal with that on stage. Now nah, let's do something else, you know? Yeah, there, there's three 
uh, uh, from this record that they've never done live. Uh, this one, uh, Ronnie, and uh, Thorn Within, and, and Cure as well. There's actually four. So first, right. I mean, you think there's only, what, 15 tracks on this album? So four they've never done live. For a band like Metallica, that's, that's saying something. Yeah. So you've got a lot of low end here again, but here it's better because you've got that guitar's playing more of a riff or more of a lick. So there's a bit of space between the notes. It's not just all like out chords, right? So you can hear something. You can hear Jason's bass nicely, and you've got both of them really playing lead. One's playing that little lick, and then some. The, you know, the other guy's playing the sympathetic part. So I think it works much better here than it did on uh, two by four. It's really kind of jarring where two songs on the same side of a record right next to each other are so totally different, right? Like, yeah. And, oh, hey. Yeah, it works much wait, better. Wait till next fucking week. Oh, boy. So that doodle doom doom doodle doom doom. I was getting crazy. No more tears. Vibes. Yeah, a little bit. The first time I listened, I was like, love that. But it's not like it's not exactly the same. Love the drums, just kind of speeding up the beat a little bit to do that big step up. The bass guitar sounds fantastic. Yeah, you know, like it, it, this so far. When I was listening to this under under duress, I was like, I'm really quite fucking liking this so far. I hope <laughs> it doesn't fall apart. I hope Lars doesn't fuck it. <laughs> really good, and and lyrically too. Open my eyes, just have them close again. Uh, yeah. Well, on my way, but on my way to where I've been, it swallows me as it takes me in its fog. Again, addiction is such a big thing for James and his lyrics. And even uh, in the albums prior to this, where he wasn't really recognizing he was an addict, you still get that, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and, and you're going to get that big time, I think, and maybe the next track uh, on this side, a little song called Until It Sleeps. But, but even that, you know, we're talking about the lyrics. You know, close my eyes, find a place to hide, find my place to hide, and I shake as I take it in, let the show begin. So that's clearly, he's talking about needing alcohol just to get his nerves in a place where he can go out on stage in front of thousands of people and perform. And he's, I mean, there's so many artists who suffer from that crippling awful, because, I mean, as you've told me, James Hetfield's not a massively outgoing guy. He's quite, you know, intro, not necessarily introverted, but fairly quiet and doesn't like being the kind of limelight and you see this all the time with front men in bands mm -hmm. they'd really rather not be but just circumstance ends up meaning they are and they just have to learn how to cope with it well a lot of them cope with it by numbing the effects right I, I really kind of like that chorus. 
Uh, oh. Lyrically, the higher you are, the farther you fall, the longer the walk, the farther you crawl. Like, that's just so relatable. My body, my temple, this temple, it tilts. Step into the house that Jack built. Like, oh, come on. Like, that. that it, it's poetic. The, the James Hetfield yeah, is. is a fucking poet. And everyone You're- just... You originally were dismissing Jay. Oh, he's just ah, 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 and he barks yeah. like a fucking idiot, right? The guy's a poet. That's something cool. Good lyric writer, I mean, which is why I was critical of the first two songs on this side because he's capable of this. And yet we get this these silly songs about you know um, mis <laughs> uh, misdimensioned pieces of wood. Anyway, <laughs> I was going to say that because this template tilts that my body, my temple. This template tilts. First of all, I think is a fantastic fucking lyric. Absolutely fantastic. And very, 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 very Alice Coopery to me, okay. especially the way he sings it. Well, you're a, you're a big Alice Cooper fan. You listen to the way, the sort of the intonation and phrasing that Alice Cooper uses. That's what that sounds like to me. So, like we were talking, you know, earlier on in the show about influences coming in. I'm sure that Alice Cooper is an influence on Metallica because, you know, Alice Cooper was a fucking influence on every single rock and metal band after him. So I think that's just one of those little subliminal things that comes in and just filters through. Great fucking line. And yeah, like I said, a great, great chorus. There's another moment earlier in the song we heard when he, his, the way he pronounced the word fog. That, that really kind of gave me Alice Cooper vibes because that's how Alice Cooper would kind of sing that line. Yep. I, I thought it was really, really cool. Before we get into this section, which, <laughs> oh my fucking God. I love though that, because this is James, I didn't realize this was James playing guitar on this track. And I love that he's just playing that one note because it's, you know, if we're thinking about this idea that um, he's talking about, you know, needing alcohol to perform and, and, and being an alcoholic and all this kind of stuff. I think that that wailing note, it's almost like that, that knot in his stomach getting tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter before the second half of the solo to me, it's like, well, I've had my drink now and everything starts to get... I mean, this this is... If that's what it is, great. And I'm probably just reading too much into it. But that's how I read it. I was like, fuck, man, that is cool. You know, we, sometimes we read too much into songs. We I just recorded literally a couple hours ago a Van Halen song, song uh, Van Halen show on the song Humans Being, where we talked about the, the, the solos in that one and how we kind of take a lull in the middle like we're in the eye of the tornado we, yeah. before everything kind of takes off. And we're probably reading way too much into that. But you're, I, I, I totally get your point. And it, it makes this section better for me because exactly that's yeah. what I was thinking too. And it, it, it's so cool. And now we're getting to something that Metallica, again, we had the slide guitar in the last song that they never did before and they've never done again. Now we're yeah. getting a little Richie Sambora talk box, <laughs> which, which, which is pretty fucking cool. All right, what did you think of the talk box? Fuck, man, come on. <laughs> I mean, I'm always a sucker for it, and when it's done really well, and again, Richie Sambori, you said, you know, and, and Joe Perry, Sweet Emotion, of course. I don't know, about, I'll say, of course. Do you know 
who the first rocker was to use the talk box, who was given it by the guy who invented it. The very first one? Very first one. And oh. you know this guy, and it, I'm pretty sure you like this guy. Is it Billy Gibbons? It is not Billy Gibbons. Oh, shit. I'm trying to think who else I really like. <laughs> James Gang. Oh, it's, uh, oh, fuck, what's his name from the Eagles? Joe Walsh. Joe Walsh, yeah. sure, yeah, I like Joe, Joe Walsh. Walsh. So Joe Walsh, was a, the, the guy who invented it was at his house, and he said, hey, do you want to try this? And Joe Walsh was like, oh, fuck, okay. Well, <laughs> and then Rocky Mountain Way comes out of it, right? So, yeah, so that was the first use of the of the talk box. Oh, that is so Frampton cool. made it, you know, yeah. So, so yeah, Frampton made it famous, right, with Show Me The Way, and, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, I think it fits the seething, sort of brooding tension of this song so well and like i said it's such a break from that single almost single note whale that he's doing in the first half of the solo it's fantastic i think it's just absolutely fantastic i i i couldn't agree more I, i'm amending my score actually as we're talking i'm bumping it up <laughs> half point <laughs> I, think I do that all the time too. <laughs> like you know what you're right fuck it i was too hard <laughs> Oh, Mr. Headfield, come on. I, I, I just love <laughs> ramp it up on the last chorus and, and, and even that, that, that kind of break on, on crawl, right? Where even Lars yeah. lays up, you crawl and they just kind of let that this kind of refrain. Oh, that was I love that part. When he steps it up, he pushes more, right? He's getting up into that into his upper register, and you get that little rope adult where we don't get this line now following here, the house that Jack built. We don't get it. Right. So again, it's that it's that little shift. But we're heading into, we talked about it, my bitch. There's a line here where he does the Hetfield da thing that I just, that's where I wish you hadn't done it. Okay. So it's coming up in this, I can't remember what line it is, but it's just, then it becomes the affectation, which is, fuck. So it's like one little thing, Mark, the one thing, I'm going to take a mark off there, James. So, you know, six six minutes, just listen for a lame fucking fill from Lars Ulrich. We haven't talked much about Lars in this, and we're going to leave him alone too much, but six minutes, I mean, it's just fucking dreadful. You know, I almost did. In the solo, he'd put in a little, like, double hits where it's like, why, why? Uh, but, mm -hmm. you know, I, I let it go because he's done worse. He's done yeah. worse on this side, for that matter. So I, I let it go, but yeah, let's, we'll, we'll, we'll play through past it. It might even be the same one, because my note is, you've played that too many times now, find another pattern. It might be the same one. So. Okay. Fuck off, Lars. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Look, everybody. How many times has he played that exact same fill? Like, yeah. fuck. Oh, man. Jesus. Anyway. But it doesn't completely kill the song, so I'll, you know, I'll let him go. I, and I, I, I like James's inflection on eyes and on me. Like, I, I, I saw you making the face up in my eyes. I just don't like it. I, I, I don't think it's... I think what I think it is, is it's just... I don't think it's necessary. If he didn't do it... The song wouldn't suffer from it at all. His vocal wouldn't suffer at all. And it's just that bit that, like, I've definitely got over that now, Corey. I've, I've told you this, like I've said, like, I'm I'm sort of past my 
thinking that James Hetfield's a shitty vocalist because that's all he does, because that's not all he does. And sometimes he uses it well. But it's just those moments, I think, you you didn't need it there. It just wasn't necessary there. And I think it actually detracts a little bit for me. So, yeah, Well, I, I think a lot of it may have, he's becoming more confident here. And I think he's leaning into it a little bit more. Whereas a, a song, uh, this kind of reminds me of Wherever I May Roam, where you know, where my lay my head is home. Like he didn't do it there. Home, ma. he didn't mm-hmm. do that, right? But he's doing that here. And I think he, he talked about how, uh, you know, seeing a vocal coach during the Black Album and working with Bob Rock, he kind of got him a little more confident vocally. And he kind of leaned into those James-isms a little bit more. And it, it's just something, I don't, a comfort thing for him. I don't know. To me, it, it always just kind of sounds cool. That's James Hetfield. Yeah. Me. It's like whenever Elvis would sneer, <laughs> you know, that was an Elvis thing. This is a James thing. And it, it doesn't bug me as much as you. Maybe because I've heard it more. I, I'm not quite sure what, what the difference is. Uh, but yeah, did he have to hit it on 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 eyes and on me? Probably not. But that's a James thing, so I, I was yeah. okay with it. It doesn't, but unless you're pointing it out, I'm not going to say, "Oh yeah, that seems out of place," which to for me sure. it makes it work in the song. Whereas for you, probably sticks out like a sore thumb. I, I think too, like if you're talking about like from a vocal coach standpoint, it's an saying this is why he does it because again, I'm I've, I've definitely grown to appreciate this guy as a singer. It's easy to end on it because you don't need to control the notes at the end. You don't need to eyes because eyes is a weird word to finish. Yeah. It just sort of falls off a cliff, right? Yep. But eyes, it's a punctuation point at the end that vocally makes that line way easier to sing. Like I said, it's almost certainly that's not the case, but that's definitely also true. Makes sense. Like me uh, c- could be a similar word, right? Yeah. It's Anything that's got me. a soft end is, yeah. Yeah. That nice fuzz on the bass too, right? Yeah, it's fantastic. And what I love about that is, because what I'd written down for that was that it's almost like, you know, he's aware of this addiction and he's having this drink, but the way they end that, it's all kind of loose and sloppy. It's almost like he's lost his fight with it and he's just fucking come apart at the seams yeah. and that's just the end of sort of, you know, he's going to, he's puked all over his fucking knees or he's, <laughs> he's pissed on himself and he's laying in the street. You know what I mean? It's got that kind of, end to this story that I think is, again, it's that attention to detail that when Metallica does it well, they do it really, really fucking well. And so that's the bar I've started to hold, especially James too, that maybe unfairly that I don't necessarily hold large through anymore. But I think that when you do it, that's that's just a good thing you can add in. Yeah. I mean, the nursery rhyme, look, it's, you know, this is the house that Jack built. This is the malt that lay in the house that Jack built. This is the rat that ate the malt that lay in the house that Jack built. This is the cat that killed the rat that ate the malt that lay in the house that Jack built. This is the dog that worried the cat. So it's, you know, it's, I know an old, I knew an old lady who swallowed a fly. I don't know why she swallowed a fly. Perhaps she's like, it's just, a, it's a building thing for a bit of memory training and a bit of sort of vocal dexterity for children to use. That's all it is. So I think it's fucking stock. What, which part of that is unclear to you? <laughs> I'll give you the last verse. See if you think this one's stock. <laughs> This is the horse and the hound and the horn that belonged to the farmer sung his corn that kept the cock that crowed in the morn that woke the priest all shaven and shorn that married the man all tattered and torn that kissed the maiden all forlorn that milked the cow with the crumpled horn that tossed the dog and worried the cat that killed the rat that ate the malt that lay in the house that Jack built. <laughs> you said cock. <laughs> <laughs> I am Cornholio. I need tippy for my fumble. <laughs> I, I love that you, you equate the end of the song to Scott Haskin on the Las Vegas Strip on a Saturday night. Just puke all over himself. <laughs> Uh, you know, the, the the hookers are throwing him change. Like, oh my God, this poor guy, because he had just been partying all week, really, at that point. Because that, that, that's the life of Scott Haskins. I don't even know 
if he has a job. He's just out just partying like 24-7. And it's, I, I'm a little bit envious, but I'm also wondering how a man of his advanced age can do it. He's the sexiest man in podcasting yep. until he's halfway down a bottle of bourbon and 3 a.m. hits, and then it's just a <laughs> fucking train wreck. Oh, my goodness. I, I can't wait to go party with that man. I bet you I make it 10 minutes before I'm ready to, <laughs> to hit the sack. But um, the house that Jack built, I got to tell you, mm. um, for a deep cut on Reload, I really kind of like this, too, and I gave it an 8 for music. Uh, there's some sections that are kind of pedestrian, but what they're doing yeah. in the background is really, really cool. So that, that's why I didn't elevate it past that. Um, the, the, the talk box, the solo, I thought was really great, and Lars wasn't annoying, so I gave it an 8. Uh, yep. Lyrically, I also gave it an 8. Solid 8, uh, James, again. Totally get it, buddy. Like, uh, you know, where he's coming from, how he phrases it. Uh, the, my body, my temple, this temple it tilts is a great line. Yes, this is the house that Jack built. Fantastic shit from Mr. Headfield. I gave it a solid 8 and a 4 on production. Uh, maybe a tad too long. Maybe there's a couple things you could have done a little different here. But they're like minor nitpicks to me. Uh, it's yeah. it's not like the last song where I could like you know judge it a, a two like really below average. This is the one I bumped up a little when when listening to it and talking to you like, you know what? Why did I give it a three and a half? Because there's not a lot of nits to pick here. Uh, to me, it's a solid four. So I gave it an eight, eight and four. Uh, to me, this is a really really good album track. Uh, never a single, never performed live uh, for whatever reason. Um, could it have been? Sure. Uh, it certainly works a lot better than the last song. Uh, so it, it's not, you know, elevated like some of the tracks on this album for me, but I, I give it a solid eight, eight and four. Uh, what are your, uh, grades on the house that Jack built? You know, just thinking about the live thing, I wonder, I do wonder if maybe James just thought, well, fuck, I'm not getting a, I'm not going to get a talk box mic on my, I'm not having that sitting on my mic stand all night. Yeah, maybe. And they are, they're really fucking awkward to play. Like, oh, you yeah. listen, you talk to guitarists, they're horrible things. I mean, it's a horrible thing to have in your mouth. And it's weird because you've got to kind of suck it, and it's a weird thing. I wonder if that's it. We could have played a different solo, but maybe just it wouldn't be the same without it. In fact, she's like, yeah, we can't do it justice, so let's just not bother with it. Music for me on this one, Corey, I went 8.5. Nice. Um, it's not memorable in the same way that, you know, like, Enter Sandman or Sad But True or any of those songs are, but I love the feel of it. And sometimes that's enough, right? Love the voice box. I like all those little noodles and the sort of textual additions with the harmonies and everything else. Jason plays a nice bass part and I can fucking hear it. And as you said, Lars doesn't, eh, it's not great, but it's not getting in the way of it too much. It doesn't piss me off. Lyrics aren't in nine. I mean, even just for that line, my body, my temple, this temple, it tilts. I love the phrasing of that. I just think it's a fantastic line. And overall, the more I've listened to this song, the more I like the lyrics. And it shouldn't work, right? Uh, this template tilts like it, phrasing yeah. wise. It shouldn't. You see it on paper. My body, my temple is seven syllables. This temple, yeah. it tilts is five. Like it shouldn't flow, but for some reason it does. Yeah. Wait a minute. This is the house that this is the house that Jack built. Is it a haiku? It is seven five seven. <laughs> Holy shit, James! Brilliant. The man's a poet. I told you. But it's funny because even that, right? You, you look at that tilts and built don't rhyme yep it's not a rhyme it's, it's it's always an imperfect rhyme but there's probably a way you could have phrased it tilts this temple's tilt or there's a, you could have made it work but he trusted the line enough to just let that be and i think that that's i just think that's really good songwriting production i went 4.5 i also don't really have much of a quibble with this one is it about a minute too long okay but i don't i don't this i like this song enough that i don't mind listening to it yep. right um, and I think it really sort of, I think the length of it actually gives that impression of 
this struggle that this guy's going through and that passage of time when you get this final unraveling at the end, because it's got a bit more length to it, just adds a bit more impact to that. So I, I lengthwise, I'm like, yeah, okay, it's six and a half minutes. Could it be five and a half and a little bit? Yeah, I don't mind six and a half. So 8.59 and 4.5 for me. Wow. I'm higher than you. Are, are you shocked that you rated a song that high on uh, on load? Yeah. Yeah, I am a little bit. And there's, <laughs> I, there's a song on side B, at least one song on side B that I was also quite surprised that I really, really liked. So, you know, this album's not tanking at the moment for me so it's not <laughs> well, fucking, it's not it's not soaring with the eagles either but it's not you know yeah it, it, it's no duke uh from genesis well, right? it ain't no duke oh, it ain't no duke <laughs> it ain't my bitch either <laughs> it ain't no duke <laughs> <laughs> all right we got one more track on side a this one this sucker's been played 248 times this was the first single off of load uh and, and this is a, a track that a lot of fans listened to it and said, wait, is this Metallica? It's called Until It Sleeps. All right, what do you think of that role? I, lo- I like that role. Yeah. Like, uh, on the Ford, like, sure, do it. Because, oh, come on, what, what it's doing You're going to hate me, Corey. Oh, that is so good. The, the bass and the drums are so great here. It, it, it sets a mood. I love a song that, that, that sets a cinematic mood. And this yeah. automatically puts me in a place. It's like I'm in Sleepy Hollow. Like Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow with like yeah. the Headless Horseman and shit. I'm right there and I'm digging it. It's so, cause, it's so funny. When I listen to this, I, I, I sort of talk all the time about, Lars, do something different. He's doing something different here. Yeah. And I still think, uh, not that though. <laughs> so I just think it's a bit busy and like the intro because because of the move with that bass line. That bass line sounds great. Or the you know I think well it's the bass and I think it's one of the I think it's the lead guitar right. So lead guitar and the bass with the guitar playing bass notes does set a really good atmosphere and a good mood. And then that snare just takes me back out of it. I, I don't know what it is. I just I also think it's it sounds like it sounds like something else I've heard Corey. It's like when you said about grunge, this was the one that I thought yeah that's got that grunge thing that. A fucking, or something very similar to it. Well, well, the bass kind of sounds like "Come as You Are" by Nirvana, right? Do, 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 yeah, do, a little bit, do, yeah. Do, do, do. See, I, I would maybe be on board if Lars was like fucking bashing away at the symbols here, like, like like he was on the crash symbol on the blue song. I would be with you, but a little snare yeah. roll in an atmospheric a song uh, uh, about like a monster, about you know, uh, you know, curses and, and everything. Like uh, again, you can kind of read into addiction here, right? You know, just like yeah. a curse, just like like. It, you know, to me that works because the the symbols would 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 be too outside of the realm of what we're dealing with here. But a a little a little t- a little snare roll, I, I think works perfect. Well, maybe I have to watch it live too because I'm not sure if he's doing a roll or if he's playing the notes. Because there's like the first time through, he's not quite on. It's a little bit. It's just he's a little bit off on sort of the back half of it, and he's not always like. Because I, I listened when I heard that, I was like, oh, well, I'll listen to the rest of them just to see if it's always that case. But I'm kind of curious if he's playing, because you could play that quickly enough, just mm-hmm. play the notes. Because it's a it's a weird roll. Sloppy, and I don't mean sloppy in a bad way. I mean, it's, it's a sloppy, loose roll. So I'd be kind of curious to see once we're done. Maybe we'll just throw up a live video on it. That Kev can be proven wrong, so, you know. Yeah, it just not not for me, Corey. It just doesn't. And it's totally subjective. Well, There's again, nothing wrong with it. I just don't like it. The atmosphere of the song, and you go right into it, into the first words. Where do I take this pain of mine? I run, but it stays right by my side. You can't outrun your problems. You can't run your fear. You can't outrun your problems, your addictions, what have you. Uh, you just gotta, you gotta hold on until it's sleep. I, I just love the whole message behind this whole fucking thing. 
A great vocal delivery from James Hetfield because here, here's a guy, but he's starting like desperate, like you know, where do I take this pain of mind? Everybody kind of has that, right? That whatever it is that that that's kind of on your shoulder that you can't outrun, like you know, it I run, but it stays right by my side. Everybody has that, and yeah. I I just love that he's understated until we get into the bum 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 bum, which is coming up next. And I'm I'll, I'll say this last thing about this fucking snare roll, and then I'll leave it alone. But I think literally just as we played that one through, I think I figured out what it is that just doesn't quite land for me. And I'm, you know, our, our friend Scott Askin is also a huge Ian Pace fan from Deep Purple. He comes in sort of on the beat. I think if he came in just after the beat and dragged that snare, that, that roll a little bit, and just behind the beat, I just think it would work better. It, it's just a weird, it's a really weird roll. And he doesn't always nail it, which is fucking fine. I don't care. Like, I don't mind a bit of looseness, a bit of sloppiness in a rock and roll song. That's fine. But there's just something about it here that I can't, I don't know what it is. It's just not working for me. It's funny because I think the way you describe it wouldn't work for me. Like, yeah. like, like coming yeah, in yeah. off beat or something, I, I, I don't think would fit the, the parameters of what we're dealing with here. And again, I'm thinking of it as kind of a movie I'm watching. Yeah. Right. So I'm taking it into a mood. And how it works, I think, to me and to that mood works a lot better. Like doing it your way would have been cool, but does it service what they're trying to accomplish in the storytelling of the song? I don't think so. So the, yeah, that, that's interesting. We're coming fine. at it from, from two completely different directions. Here. Absolutely. It's the beauty of music. This is why we that's talk right. about it. That's, that's why right. we're here. And you're a fucker and I hate you, but you know, what else? That, that kind of reverby kind of ethereal tone of the guitar like all oh, that it, it just kind of floats and and, and yeah. that role he's doing is like the the track it's running on that you can kind of do that shit over top and again okay. storytelling wise fantastic and i'd love to so tear me open pour me out there's things inside that scream and shout and the pain still hates me so hold me until it sleeps like i i don't know i i You've obviously lead a charmed life. You're sitting in your palace, <laughs> palatial mansion in Saskatoon with your gorgeous wife and beautiful family and all the money in the world. I've gone through some shit. So until it sleeps, I think maybe hits home a little bit harder for me than it does for you. I mean, literally come from the fucking lowest of the low, <laughs> Northwest England, working class scum stock, not a fucking penny to my <laughs> I've got where I am through hard work, Corey. Fuck that. Hell of a lot of luck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, look, I don't don't disagree with what you're saying, but like I said, I think, man, if I could hear this song without that snare roll, I think I would just, I would hear it differently. Why can't you divorce yourself from the snare roll? Like, it it can't be that objectionable that it's it's taking... It's a really good question. It's a good question. I don't know. There's just some things in some songs. It's like that fucking... That little stone that you have in your shoe. You know, it's only a tiny little fucking pebble. And it moves around and it's never quite... It's not always, oh, it's it's gone like, oh, no, fuck there. It's there again. And it just... It just irritates you. And I 
I don't know what it is, man. You, you gotta get. I've got to think about this one some more because I don't know why it's bugging me so much. Because he's not overplaying anything. He's not like bashing on the fucking reverse crash or anything, like making it really loud and obnoxious. It, it's really kind of low, just a little fucking thing on the snare. It, it, it really shouldn't bother you as much as it does. I know. Uh, pebble I know. in the shoe, uh, notwithstanding. Uh, I, I I don't see what's so objectionable about that. I bet you Scott would agree with me too. He might do, but I would also say that you know you listen to Phil Collins, you listen to Ian Pace. You listen to a guy called Jean-Paul Gasser, who's a drummer for Clutch, who do snare rolls just fucking... I mean, they do them perfectly. Lars doesn't do these, this kind of thing, right? He doesn't do it. And and like I said, I think... You know what? Let's just stop talking about it. I, I'm going to have to just get past it. We're going to have to ignore it for this song. We've bashed this to death. Scott's not going to listen to this. No, He's not going to the podcast anymore, right? <laughs> I, I think I've stomped on it until it's not yeah. even... It stopped breathing about 18 minutes ago. I should just leave it be, right? So... <laughs> I'm a fan of it. You're the one bashing the fucking. I know, I know, I know. Just like the curse, just like the stray. You feed it once, and now it stays. Now it stays. So tell me, open, but beware. This thing. Oh my god. So just like the curse, just like the stray, you feed it once and now it stays. Like that is oh, that's a powerful lyric because everybody feeds into their own fear. My kid does this. My kid is so afraid of mice. And she saw a yeah. mouse in her room one time. And now she keeps feeding that fear every fucking day to the point where last night she texts me, I, I hear something chewing. And so I have to go up to her room at twelve thirty yeah. at night and say, No, there's nothing in your fucking room. She's feeding that fear. Everybody does this. It's such a a, a, a comment on, on the human condition. We all fucking do this. And then you get into, so tear me open, but beware. There's things inside without a care and the dirt still stains me. So wash me. And then until I'm clean, the way you, until I'm clean, uh, going into this next part is all oh, vocally. He delivers it perfectly. It's confident too to take, cause you know, un- until it sleeps is the line, but until I'm clean, he's changing, he's changing the, the title line of the song. That's you gotta be pretty confident in your lyric to do that. Um, what's the, what's the, what's the thing that gets you Corey? What's the thing that chews up at you and niggles you? What's your? Because I'll tell you mine. It's fucking at, at a base level, at a, at a sort of a primal, physical level. Spiders and moths, I just fucking cannot deal with. And I sometimes, like, if I think about a spider in my bedroom, I'm I'm awake now. I'm I'm lights on. I got to you know I, I got to go. I, I just I can't deal with it. I just can't deal with that thought that there might be one there. If you want to talk about physical things, spiders I'm okay with. Moss I'm not a fan of. Dragonflies bother the fuck out of me. Uh, oh, wow. You know, things like heights bother the fuck out of me. Uh, you want to get more deeply personal, not being a good person, not being a good father. That that always kind of preys on me. It's always yeah. kind of in the back. Like whenever your kids do something wrong, well, that's a failing on me. You know, I, I'm a bad dad. I'm a bad person. So I always have that. And that yeah. never fucking leaves. You feed it once and now it stays. It's fucking yeah. always there. So uh, not everyone's perfect like you sitting in your palatial palace in fucking Saskatoon, you know, with your drum set to one side. And oh my God, and you just, you're just flaunting your wealth. Every single I mean, call we're on together. I'm sitting here in my shitty little rec room. Oh, <laughs> bastard. I, I mean, I so wish I, people say, oh, is, oh, you do this and you do that. And yeah, yeah. 
Are you any, is there anything you're not good at? Yeah, I'm not very good at dancing. Well, I'm terrible at dancing. I'm not all that good at sex. You know, I mean, I mean, my wife will tell you. I'm just, you know, I'm very average. Is very she around? So. Can we get her on a call and, and find out? Hey, honey. <laughs> no, she's not here. Okay, damn. Thank God. <laughs> Every once in a while, I, I see somebody kind of walk down your stairs and, and off to the corner there. I was wondering if she was kicking around, but. That's my daughter. She's that's her room. She lives in the basement. She's a little my little basement dweller. We she comes out every now and again for food and for you know data usage and things, but we don't see her very often anymore. So she must hate that you podcast so much. You probably keep her up at night. You're like we're uh, truth be told, let's pull back the curtain. It's well past twelve o'clock here, Saskatchewan time. She's probably trying to get some sleep. And there's Dad fucking pontificating about Lars Ulrich's drums sound. Like Jesus, she's twenty years old. It's only twelve thirty. She ain't sleeping. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Well, let's get into the chorus of the song, shall we? Love that six four timing, and that's great. And you know, Soundgarden does that lots, and that that's definitely a big grunge thing where you count two past the four, and it's it, it, that works here. It really, really works. Um, good progression. Love the vocal delivery. Uh, yeah, everything about that section works for me. Even the drums. Yeah, more or less. Yeah, I like it here because he's not doing that fucking wrong. But like, it works for this section of the song. You've got to build this here now because they've gone heavier. The guitars are crunched up, um, and it's got that six four time. You couldn't. You couldn't play lightly here. You need Lars hitting the drums here. And in this kind of stuff, this is the drummer for you. This is the one you... Uh, to me, yeah, I'm all right with this. Uh, to me, th th this is horror. Again, if you're thinking about it as a movie, nowadays, modern horror movies skip the horror part, and they just do yeah. jump scares. Like, oh, my God. And, like, jump scare. Oh, my God, it's a cat. Oh, it's a cat. It's another cat. Yeah. That's not scary. That's startling. But yeah. you go, oh, my God, it's a cat, and then you're fine. That's not scary. This is scary. Like. It builds and it builds, but what do you get to? Until it sleeps and it comes back down, you get that you know ethereal quality again. That, to yeah. me, is more indicative of like good horror, like an exorcist or, or, or something like that, uh, as opposed to what we're getting nowadays in all the Blumhouse god-awful horseshit horror movies, where yeah. it's like, blah, blah, blah. Like, it, it doesn't work. This works. And, and to me, this song is a horror movie because everybody has that whatever it is just off their shoulder that doesn't leave. And, you yeah. know, you could silence it for a bit when it sleeps, but it's going to wake up. And and that's what this song is. And it just, I don't know, it speaks to me. And I love how they could have went for the big, the big bombastic, uh, bombastic last line of the chorus. Didn't yeah. do it, right? We build it so hold me until it sleeps. And then it comes back down. And I just, it yeah. works so well. You know, we, we were talking about editing on the fly and changing our ratings. Mm-hmm. Talking the lyrics up a little bit for me here, Corey. I, I, I don't mind. I'm not, I'm not too big a man to say that, you know. So, I, I got yeah, I, 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 I can't even uh, pick a nit on any of these lyrics because what he's the story he's telling, telling impeccably. He's Alfred Hitchcock right here, motherfucker, because he knows exactly how to weave this tale and he's doing it impeccably. Yeah. Well, and that's where, as you said, like Hitchcock, and it's why Jaws was so scary when it came out. It's the anticipation. It, Jaws was way less scary once you saw that fucking stupid shark. Obviously. But yeah. everything building up to it was really fucking scary. And you know why? Because whatever you can imagine is a hundred times scarier than what anybody can ever show you on the screen. 
Absolutely. Right? So when he's talking about Until It Sleeps, that it for everybody is different. And that's why this song is so fucking effective. Yeah. But it's well, Stephen King, I mean, I don't know, I think we talked about it before, like Stephen King's It is the same thing. When I read that as a kid, you just can't do that on screen. Yeah. Because it literally is about, it, it's, it's what's scary for every individual person. And so you can't do that on screen because... You know, I'm terrified of spiders, and so, but he put a big spider on screen. I don't give a fuck about that. Yeah. If it's clowns for some people, I'm not scared of clowns. But that thing, that 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 horror of the realization that, oh fuck, it's still there. That's the thing that's scary. It's all internal, right? It's not. It's not visual. It's not something in front of you. It's it's what you do to yourself. You know. Well, that's what when you're reading the book. It's your mind eye telling you, okay, well, this is what scares this character. Yeah. What scares me? If I was a kid in this story, what would be? And and that's why it's it's scary. Yeah. Like you said. You're watching a kid run away from a painting in the in the It movie. And you're like, I don't give a fuck. It's a painting, or, or like or like the leper. And again, they'll do ah jump scare. Like oh okay, and then you're startled yeah. for thirty seconds, then you're fine. That's not horror. That's not scary. Oh. This is fucking scary. I will note. We're not going to play it, but I will note that at two twenty eight, I'd written down I like that drum fill. Just put it out there that I'm not fucking hating on Lars all the time. So. There you go. And like Kevin said, we're not playing it for some reason. So fuck you. Just trust <laughs> that it happened. So many layers, so many layers in there, right? The bass is doing yeah. something, the drum is doing something. Both guitars, you got there's padding effects, there's uh, little things Kurt's doing on a little doodle uh, off of the rhythm, and it, it all just creates this this atmosphere of of tension, of dread that every human being you know feels in their life every fucking day, yeah. and 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 they just externalize that so well. But it's not clashing either, though, too. And that's where, you know, we talked in a couple of songs on this album already about things getting in the way of each other, especially during that bottom end on those first couple of songs. A lot of sonic space in this one. And, I mean, I think it is that because it is sort of a grungy alt-rock type of thing that they're going for. Obviously, they're, you know, Bob Rock. And Bob Rock knows that. He knows how to do that. So he's got that dead right. So you've got it. There is a lot going on there. And I like all those, like, Pink Floyd-y kind of, you know, it, it's you're playing guitar, but you're not playing like a, a, a melody or anything, you, you're playing these kind of discordant, jagged kind of things that add to the the mood and the and the sort of the tension of it, which I think is is perfect. It's a great section of this song. And, and My they're favorite. All, they're they're all separate, right? It, it, it's not all muddled together like we talked about yep. on two by four. Uh, all separate. It, it just, my God. Let's keep going. So we didn't get a big flashy solo like you would expect from a Kurt Hammett mm -hmm. Metallica song, right? But that's cool because that's not what this song needs. It, it yeah. doesn't need, look at all, look at Yngwie Malmsteen, look at Vernon Reed on Cult of Personality, look at all the notes I can play. We don't yeah. need that here. It's all about a mood. It's all about a feeling. And that is a great solo section for this kind of song. Well, it's the jazz thing, right? It's the notes that you don't play are often either as important or more important than the notes you do play. And have to say as well and kudos to mr ulrich for saying the fuck out of the way of it as well he just just kept that backbeat going didn't do any weird little fucking ratatata -ta 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 -ta, which he has been known to do Corey. Yep. 
Yep. You know, so there is a lot of space in this song, and sonically, I think that section of this song is probably my favorite part of it. But he's doing that snare roll that he introduced at the beginning, right? It's almost this kind of familiar thing that's kind of leading you through. I don't mind it there, though, because I think that, again, I'm, I'm being fucking schizophrenic about this, and I maybe contradicting myself, but I think here it works because you do have that, you've got now this atonal, almost, like I said, that discordant thing that they've got going on in this section, where I think that the roll accentuates that. And it doesn't distract me here. Whereas in the, especially in the intro, to me, it's just like, I, I just don't want that there. I don't need it there. So, I, yeah. How about this? Do you not mind the role there? Because this has been the one familiar thing that we've had from the beginning of the song. It's almost like the line you're following through the woods that, that's kind of keeping you on the path because everything else is going apeshit. That's the one element that you're used to from the beginning that you're kind of holding on to to try and lead you through this experience. Imagine being lost in the woods and you're holding on to like a line and you're assuming at the end of the line it's going to get you through. That's that drum roll because everything else is kind of until it sleeps. You got vocals going crazy. You got the bass is doing something different. The guitars are, are ethereal, right? And you're kind of weaving your way through the woods and it's that drum roll. That, that's kind of the constant. That's kind of keeping you on the path. I think that's an articulate, cogent, very well stated argument. Uh, what I would say is that I think that what I would probably find is that at the end of the line, when I, when I follow that familiar thing, I'll find out that I've been holding a fucking wolf's tail and it's about to turn around and bite my fucking face off. <laughs> and maybe, so it, maybe, that's the, maybe that's the end of the story. It doesn't have to have a happy ending, Kevin. <laughs> Not yeah, everyone I, ends up look, in a palatial palace in Saskatoon, right? Sometimes yeah. we end up in a little shitbox uh, converted trailer in Weyburn, Saskatchewan, right? You fucker. <laughs> I can't wait for you to come to my house. <laughs> <laughs> i've been in saskatoon yeah. if you live in saskatoon it's a palace oh yeah we're we're we've, i've got a moat i got a, i got i got a staff man i got of gardeners and fucking... <laughs> i've got a moat we all knew that come on <laughs> i'm gonna draw bridge yeah that. no again it's just that i like it here as an embellishment i like it as a as a change i think when it's there all the time it's when i just get like yeah Anyway, so right. we've done it to death. I've done it to death. I've done it to death. Not you. I've done it to death. I I'm getting sick of you talking. I'm going to play the song some more. <laughs> so tell me Okay, so there we have, uh, obviously, the narrator is like, I'll tear me open, make you gone. Like, I'll go to therapy. I'll do what it takes. I'll rip myself apart to make you gone. No longer will you hurt anyone, but the hate still shapes me. So hold me until it sleeps. You'll never get rid of it. No matter how much you try yeah. and break yourself down, it's always there. And tell me you can't relate to that. It's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it, it is that sort of... When you put it that way, which I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it in that context, but it is that sort of quintessential definition of what an addict is. It's always going to be there. You're never going to be, you're always going to be a recovering addict. You're never going to be a recovered addict. There is That's no right. end point. It's yeah. always just keeping that thing on your shoulder, fucking on your shoulder and not dropping down into your gut, right? So yeah, yeah. great interpretation of it, Corey. Some, sometimes yeah. it sleeps longer than, than other times, right? So you really got to get to the point where it, it takes a, an extended nap, basically. Like you yeah. said, it'll never go away. 
just hold me until it sleeps. Like, just help me get through until it sleeps. Yeah. 10, 10, and fucking 5. This is one of my favorite Metallica songs of all time. 100%. I love this song. I have no nits to pick. It's per- Lyrically, it's perfect. Musically, it's all perfect. I, I get the story it's telling me. It's a good horror movie, and I haven't seen a good horror movie in fucking decades. Right? Like, the, the closest thing I can come up with, like, The Conjuring, still kind of relied somewhat on jump scares, but it had some horror elements that I could appreciate. But it, it there's nothing like good horror. Like, I, I grew up on Stephen King, uh, on his books anyway. His movies, not so much. Uh, yeah. But, you know, th- this is so relatable. Like, th- this is the human condition. We all have it. And sometimes it's, you know, it, it's a smaller beast than others. Obviously, if you have alcoholism, you know, being the, the, the thing that you're, you know, that, that's going to be a lot different. Uh, I, I was addicted to, to cigarettes at one point. I was able to kick that addiction in 2005. Uh, maybe I drank too much. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I've been having a good night here with my whiskey. I got to tell you that. But uh, <laughs> uh, th- this song is just so relatable. I'm a horror fan. Uh, to me, this is a horror movie in a song and done maybe the best I've ever heard. Uh, to me, it's uh, one of my favorite songs of all time. 10, 10, and 5 for Until It Sleeps. Uh, again, play 248 songs. One of James's favorite songs, too. Um, the, the, the video is killer. I, I could see why long-term Metallica fans were put off when this was the first single off of Load. Like, mm-hmm. what the fuck happened to my band? Where's Master of Puppets? Where's Ride the Lightning? Where's For Whom the Bell Tolls? We got Until It Sleeps. But I didn't grow up on that era. I was introduced on the Black Album. So coming into this, I'm like, fucking right. This is great, great shit. I didn't have that excess baggage from the earlier stuff. I wouldn't appreciated that after the fact. I came in midway through their career here. So uh, yeah. I have a lot of fond memories of Until It Sleeps. I'm guessing you are much more negative than I am. Not on all of it. I mean... You, I mean, as we talk through this, I bumped the lyrics on this one up a lot. And they were already, I already liked the lyric on this one. I just wasn't, I wasn't reading it quite as well as you. And you've, like I said, you've articulated this fantastically. So I'm going to go lyrics 9.5. I still think that something like, you know, uh, nothing else matters. That's your, that's your 10. That's your benchmark. And I'm pretty sure this guy can hit it again. And there's lyrics, and there's another, there's another lyric on ne- the next side of this album that I'm pretty sure, well, I can't remember if I gave it a 10, but I rated really, really highly. So I know that Hetfield's got that, right? I know it's in there. Um, so 9.5 for lyrics. Again, that, and the fear still shakes me. So that it's that sort of, that sense, that, that dread that you have, it, no matter how strong you are, no matter how successful you are, no matter where you are in your life, just that, that one little sense of doubt can just shake you to your absolute fucking boots. I think it's brilliant. I think it's great. Um, Production-wise, I mean, maybe this is harsh, but I went to four. I can't fault the length on it very much. I think it could be tightened up a little bit. At 4.30, really? Yeah, even even at that, I think it could be just just tightened a wee bit. Um, So maybe, I don't know. Well, I'll I'll just read out what I wrote down. It feels like a heavy metal band trying to write a hit rock song and i guess you know what it was the biggest hit of their career at number 10 on the chart so job fucking done i just think i think this music could have been better because the lyric is strong so musically and you know i'll I'll get ready for you to end the call i i I went a six (laughs) it just feels like metallica trying to do something way too far out of their wheelhouse to me it's too too sections that are sort of glued together and they do okay with it i don't think it's like perfectly done but there's something about that guitar intro tone that 
again, it's, it's this is subjective, not objective, and it's always going to creep into the discussions that we have. But what I'd written down is, it sounds like Metallica doing Soundgarden and doing REM doing Pixies, which should work because I fucking love all four of those bands. Or I love three of those bands, I should say, and I'm starting to love one of them. But it's just something about it overall. I don't like that tone. That There's something about it. I'm like, yeah, I just don't. I don't like it. I just tonally that grates on me a little bit. So I've gone six for music, but 9.5 for lyrics and four for production. So I don't hate this song. I just don't think it's... It's nowhere near the best song on this album for me. Nowhere near. You're just sitting there being a complete dick. Where's yes, your mute I button? I, God, I gotta, I gotta find your uh, mute button on here. God, where's my I, sensor button? I, I guess I, I, I didn't, I didn't catch any of that because there it is. Keep talking, <laughs> fucker. No, <laughs> be, be, I'm not going in with any of that baggage. As soon as, as yeah. soon as the song starts playing and I close my eyes, I'm, I'm like, I'm like in a dark woods, in, in, the, in like there's a fog, and like I'm not, yeah. I'm not thinking about the pixies or REM or any of that shit. I'm thinking about where yeah. this song is taking me and, and, and what the atmosphere they're creating. I, I think if you can go in without all those preconceived kind of, okay, well, well, this sound, this, this was lifted from fucking, uh, you know, green from REM. Well, no, 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 I don't care about all that shit. What's yeah. the journey this song is taking me on? You know, if you can kind of divorce yourself from that, I think it takes you on a better journey uh, than what you gave it credit for. So you're I wrong and I'm right, and everybody should uh, contact you on Twitter and tell you you're a piece of shit. So where can they do that, Kevin? <laughs> I, I shouldn't say, I, I hear people are, are getting down on me for being too negative to you. Uh, really? <laughs> well, you, you told me that. And like, okay, oh, that's right, yeah. I, I, I'm obviously playing it up. I obviously really like Kevin quite a bit. I appreciate his his views on things. Uh, he, he's one of my best friends. And I enjoy talking to him about music. So I, I'm going to be, I'm going to bust his balls a bit just because I can. Uh, but yeah, you're, you're, you're totally valid. Uh, I just don't agree at all with you. I mean, it's... <laughs> what you should really do is at some point is just censor, like, do that for, like, literally a... Straight. <laughs> no, okay, look. I think, and we're going to talk about this definitely on side B, is there's an issue with sequencing, I think, sometimes with some of this stuff, where coming off the back of uh, the house that Jack built, a really sort of what I would say is it's a very, I mean, even those elements in there that they never used before, that's a really Metallica-y song. That's what I kind of expect Metallica to sound like somewhere around there. This one just took me way too far out of it. And again, I, I just that Isn't snare roll. Like, like, it is, yeah. It, don't well, be sometimes everything that Metallica is. Like, you know, break those chains. Come on, stretch yeah. your wings. Queen did that all the time. You do a podcast on Queen. Are you going to yeah. bitch every time a song doesn't sound like uh, Seven Seas of Rye? I hope not. No, well, as long as it doesn't sound like fucking body language, we're all right. I mean, you know, it's, it's nobody got... likes body language. My God! <laughs> oh, there are there are a lot. Wow. That one will come back champion. Oh, I guarantee you. No, I guarantee you. It oh, can't. Yeah. No, but I'd good. I'd say about sixty-five-ish. I'd say. Yeah. Really? Wow. Mm-hmm. I, I no, can't, so I, I can't wait to see how Tedman Funster does because I I love all my rock and roll forty-fives. Me too. <laughs> yeah. So what I'd read about this song also was that James Hetfield wrote about his mother 16 and it was him struggling with his mother's death. So that was the, the pain that doesn't sleep. And that, you know, that, that's the thing yeah. that he was struggling with. And so, you know, I mean, I, I still think that the alcoholism came through and that's, you know, also sort of coming in there as well, that follows through from the last song. So all those things, all those kind of monkeys on your back that you got to get rid of. Um, but just, yeah, just, I, 
it's inexplicable sometimes, right, with music. Either it grabs you or it doesn't. And sometimes it does push you away. And there's just something about the, sort of the first 30 seconds of this song that goes, nah, that's not for you, Kev. And I'm perfectly happy for you to 10, 10 and 5 it. I'm perfectly happy for this to be a massive song for so many people. It's just never going to be for me. I, I wish I wish you could just kind of get out of your head and just listen to it raw and just like almost for the first time again and, and, and kind of forget about technical aspects or yeah. your inexplicable hatred for Lars Ulrich, which uh, again, I got to point You're just out. You're sitting there being a complete dick. You know, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that I, I said every, again, the cadence of the way he says it is, I mean, you couldn't say that those words any more dickishly. That's so perfect, that is. It's so good. Or even the whole fuck section of like, man, I just look at you and I just want to yell, fuck. Fuck. Oh, Lars, grow up, you stupid little man. Such a piece of shit. (laughs) Anyways, go watch some kind of monster. Good movie. Well, what what are your thoughts on this side as a whole, Corey? What what were your final scores? uh, Ultimately, I gave it an eight for music, seven and a half for lyrics, and four for production. And really, it's just the one song that, that kind of knocks it down. There's three really good songs on this side for me. I really like it. I love Until It Sleeps. I really like The House of Jack Built. And I, I, I really, uh, you know, like the opener, too. I thought Eat My Bitch is really, really good. You know, good groove. Sounds great. James is singing the fuck out of it. Two by four is the one that really brings it down for me. And, and I was seven, five, and two. And really, yeah. the seven is kind of over-exaggerated because really it's just that groove. Because I, I like a good blues groove. Do they overplay it? Sure. And that's another reason why two for production. But, yeah. you know, it's really that one song that brought it down for me. So I was eight. Seven and a half and four. Where did you land on side A of load? Well, my scores were 6.5 for music, seven for lyrics, and 3.5 for So Again, not like, you know, not massively different. I mean, I'm lower, as I think we probably expected on this this season. But what this feels like to me is a band that, like, on the, on the Black Album, it sounded like they wanted a more commercial aesthetic without compromising the sort of the nature of the songs. They brought Bob Rock in to make this set of songs or the set of songs they were working on and, you know, producing to to make them sound a bit more palatable to a mainstream audience. This sounds like they're trying to write a bit more commercially, especially especially until it sleeps, right? It's got one ear on how can we kind of tap into the zeitgeist a little bit more. And I I don't subscribe to that whole selling out thing. That's bullshit. But it's just got that thing, right? And I love some of the lyrical ideas that's going on on this side, those last two songs, and especially you swung me around to it until it sleeps, you know, lyrically. A couple of spots, but it's just a bit disjointed. I don't think it ever quite matches up consistently between the music and the lyrics. So I think that's reflected in an overall of 17, which again, it's higher than I fucking thought I would give any side of any Metallica album because I thought I fucking hated this band. But a 17 is still what, like a 68 or something? Yeah, which ain't which ain't a fucking dud, you know. No, it's still above average. I, I was uh, nineteen and a half, uh, so I I definitely like the side a little bit more than you. But uh, what was my what was my lowest Genesis side? Do you remember? Not, I think it might have been lower than sixty eight. I might have been lower than sixty eight. You know, I, I think so. I, I think so. All right, folks, it's now time to play the big four. That's right. Uh, we're gonna uh, rank bands based on Spotify listeners. Uh, we are keeping score this season. I'm currently in the lead. I've been four for four both times we played this game yeah. so far. <laughs> Kevin uh, has a, a paltry five points. So I have eight. Kevin has five. Uh, now it's up to me to pick uh, four acts, and uh, and Kevin has to try and rank them in terms of Spotify listeners. And actually, I'm going to mend it here real quick because I realized I just did three. And, and this did is we? the big four. 
Did we do... So you're winning eight to five, but this is episode five. Yeah, because... So did we miss, did we miss the first two? No, because I uh, I got all four... You only got one right last time. So that's right, why... Right, but that, then... Because we've done four episodes, right? Yes. We did all four sides of the Black Album. Yep. So you've got eight... This is very simple math. I went four for four math. both times. So four plus four is... Right, but eight. we've done four episodes. So that should be 16 if you've got them all right. No, because we only... I only, I guess shows one and three, you guess shows two and four. Yeah. So I've only, oh, I've only yeah, played yeah. two okay, shows. No, yeah. Jesus fucking, fucking Christ, wanker. I'm sorry. So, I'm, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna go to bed. I'll just take zero. <laughs> <laughs> so again... Holy fuck. I went four for four both shows, so I'm at eight points. Kevin got four right his first time out. Only got one right last time out, so you're at five points. So the score is eight to five. Does that make sense? Did they not teach you math in, in good old Great Britain? I, I, I just left school at 13 to go down to work in the coal mines, Corey. You know, oh, so I uh, we didn't get we didn't get to counting. You know, I, I got you. you. Just, it's either one or no call. It's one or zero. Like it's just binary. So <laughs> all right. Well, speaking of just binary, I just picked four bands out of my ass. Uh, that I thought would be kind of close to around the same amount of Spotify listeners. And, oh, yeah, that's just Dirty Pool. Come on. Give I know, me a wrench. I know it's Dirty Pool, but I want to fucking win because there's going to be a prize for something. You're going to have to buy me like a slice of pizza or something or some of your craft beer that you speak so highly of in Saskatoon. I'll never be in- invited to the palatial palace of Brown Manor with the moat and the drawbridge and all that shit. But we'll, we'll see if I can beat him on the big four. So your four bands for this week, Kevin Brown, are Metallica. Green Day, Bee Gees, and Kylie Minogue. I know you're a fan of Kylie Minogue. So I, hey. I was putting that one in for sure. So you have to rank them one through four. Once again, the bands are Metallica, Green Day, the Bee Gees, and Kylie Minogue. From highest Ooh. to lowest. That's a really fun fucking good for Corey I I that's off to you sir okay highly still active BG's aren't right so BG's are going to drop a bit I think because you know people think that those old acts are more or less doing they are I, I'm going to I think I think BG's are well Green Day I don't know you know what I'm going to go with this this is what I'm going to do okay. I'm going to go with Kylie Metallica BG's Green Day Green Day 4. So you're going yeah. Kylie Minogue, number one. Yeah. Metallica, number two. Yeah. BG's number three. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Green Day, number four. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I can tell you right now, yeah, it's looking like you got every single one wrong. Oh, all of them wrong? All of them wrong. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, gee. Okay. Do I get, can, I, can I get a mulligan like you get on the podcast? Nope. No mulligans on this show, sir. Number one, Green Day. 31,929,000. Look, people of the world, <laughs> get a fucking grip. Fuck, <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Green Day, number one. Number two, the Bee Gees. 26,101,000. It just fucking. There's no wonder I. It's no wonder I drink. <laughs> I mean, what? Oh, Number three, Kylie Minogue, twenty-four million six hundred and ninety thousand. 
And number four, Metallica, $24,668,000. million. Oh, so we're only talking about like, what's, what's the difference between Kylie? <laughs> you, you are a dirty, filthy son of a bitch. <laughs> it was 22000 Come on. I am changing mine for next week because oh. I was very kind and I'm fucking changing it. <laughs> I'm going to troll the depths of Spotify and try and find things where there's literally one listener difference. Oh, come on. You're a Kylie Minogue fan, and you weren't even close. You guessed her Dude, number one. I, she was number look, three. I, I will tell you, Corey, that when I was 16 or 17, you know, as a young man, you're still figuring yourself out and your body and what you like and what you don't and whatnot. Don't get too graphic now. I don't want to hear I that. went to see Kylie Minogue live. My mum took me, which is a bit fucking tragic, but whatever. And she wore a black velvet cat suit, and I knew then... Oh, I am definitely heterosexual because that's what I want. <laughs> I want one of amazing. I mean, I don't give a shit about that. I can't remember what she sang, but she looked amazing. Uh, Kylie Minogue, easy on the eyes. Uh, no argument mm. here, but yeah. Uh, shocked you know so little uh, of her in, in, in her catalog that you would guess her to be uh, number one, and she was actually number three. And Green she Day. She should be number one. Uh, I was, she's, like, the pe- she's the people's champion. There you go. Uh, Green Day surprised me. I actually like Green Day. Because uh, I grew up on, like, my mom played a lot of 50s rock, like Elvis and yeah. uh, Ricky Nelson, that kind of thing. And they have a real element of, of like, 50s melodies uh, in, in with their kind of punk aesthetic. That really kind of speaks to me. So I like Green Day. But 31 million shocked me. I thought they'd be in, like, the 10 yeah, 11 I, range. Well, because, I mean, so, like, American Idiot was the last big album they did, I yeah. thought, right? Yeah. Like, that was, and what was that? Was that, like, I don't know, fucking, what, 15 fucking years ago? Or? It was, yeah. And then uh, after that, they did a, albums that didn't sell well at all. But, you know, they're doing stadium tours. They're doing a stadium tour now with the Smashing Pumpkins coming up. Like, uh, they just played the uh, halftime at the Grey Cup. Uh, You know, their new stuff sounds kind of cool. But, like, their albums aren't selling, but they're still popular. It's kind of weird. I should say, too, that I don't dislike Green Day. But they're one of those bands that, like, whenever I hear them, I'm like, yeah, that's Green Day. Yeah, that's okay. I I like it. I don't mind it. It doesn't make me want to fucking, you know, gouge my ears out. But apart from Dookie... It's not a band that I'm ever really going to reach from, or you know, go to Vinyl Exchange and Saturday and think, "Oh, I should buy a Green Day album." Mm-hmm. Yeah, just just not one of those bands that does that for me, you know. And, but, and Bee Gees, obviously, they've endured for you know quite a few decades now, but uh, twenty six million how, how many, seems kind of high. Twenty six million, yeah. I mean, I suppose Saturday Night Fever was massive, but they, I mean, there's only one of them left. That's true. I think you should, I don't think anyone should be listening to you once you you know once you've lost three quarters of your band. I think that should be it. I think it should be off Spotify. Fuck you. Get out of it. Make room for the new fucking breed. Except the Beatles, obviously. I'll, I'll, I'll take that back for the Beatles. But I, I'm just looking at the list here. Uh, you, you know who comes in at 24 million streams? They've only ever released one song. What? Band-Aid. It's yeah, Christmas but, you know, time. You know what? I kind of like that song. <laughs> I, know, I, know, I, know it's, I know it kind of sucks, but I kind of like it. Anyway. Hey, uh, out of the charity singles, that was the best one. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's certainly better than what was the bloody awful American one that we are the it, world. We are the world. Yeah. Oh, good lord! And then uh, 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 the Canadian rock groups did like Brian Adams wrote one called "The uh, Thinking About Christmas Time," something like that. It, it was okay, but it, yeah. it wasn't as good as Band Aid. Band Aid was really, really. We talk about atmosphere and building tension, yep. and I know that you know. Do they know it's Christmas time at all? About. Africans who are starving and not necessarily Christian is a bit tone deaf. Fair enough. Tad, you know, okay, I totally get that. But, <laughs> but the heart was in the right place. Exactly. I mean, the execution of all of it was a 
fucking train wreck top to bottom, but the heart was in the right place. So, you know, Bob, Bob Geldof, and we know you listen to this podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for your effort, sir. That song led to Live Aid, which, you know, gave us Queen in their set. So, yeah, all is right with the world because that is the greatest live performance of anybody ever in the history of humans. <laughs> the history of humans. And, and so say we all. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, folks, thanks for listening. Um, join us again next week when we look at side two of Load, this album that I know nothing about. And Corey's not, you know, he's not a, an aficionado of this era of Metallica. So we're on this journey together. Um, come check us out on social media and tell us why we are right or wrong at Ultimate Catalog Clash on Facebook and You Catalog Clash on Twitter and Blue Sky. Uh, check out my other shows, The Tom Petty Project and Seaside Pod Review. And if you want to find me on Twitter, come check me out at, at Kev Brown Canada. Corey, where can the people find you? What should they yell at you? They should yell nothing at me because uh, I'm very sensitive and I would take it the wrong way. But if you want to come tell me that, uh, you know, uh, you don't totally disagree with my views on anything, uh, you can find me at CD Marset on Twitter. Uh, you can also find me as part of my other shows uh, and the podcast will rock with Mark Meyer. Uh, that's at podcast will rock on Twitter and uh, backtracks Aerosmith revisited with the sexiest man in podcasting, Scott Haskin at BT Aerosmith on Twitter. And don't forget, that's the sexiest man in podcasting until he's vomited all over his knees. Good night, ladies and gentlemen.